I have that on now. We are going to be reading from the Gospel of John. And for those of you who, uh, who may not be as familiar with the Gospels, there are four of them. And the first three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all follow the same kind of thematic explanation of who Christ is. John's Gospel is different in that John was a disciple of Jesus Christ, and being his disciple, he was the one who we think historically lived longer on the earth than all the others. And in fact, we know that he wrote not only this gospel, but he wrote the first or the three letters right before the book of Revelation. And in those passages, he lays out for us who the real God is. And it's from the is clearly taught. And so in light of that, I invite you now to hear the word of God as we read it in the first chapter, beginning with verse 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to, the, to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. And yet to all who did receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will but born of God the word the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us we have seen his glory the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Well, out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in the closest relationship with the Father has made known him has made him known. This is the word of God. You may be seated. I don't know about you, but as this Christmas season unravels, Cindy and I have talked about how in the world can we begin enjoying the lights that are glowing at night in our neighborhood. Do you do that? Do you get in your car and become creepers at night, kind of creeping around your neighborhood, looking in people's windows? 
Uh, I, I never knew I was married to a creeper until early on in our marriage because one of the things that we would do, honestly, is we would go and look at homes only at night so we could see inside the windows. And at Christmas time, we have the greatest excuse because then we'll go and look at how people are decorating for Christmas and we actually break the, 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 the Tenth Commandment. You know what the Tenth Commandment is, right? You, you shall not covet. You shall not want what your neighbor has. And so we do that all night. And so we have to spend the rest of the, the, the evening asking God to forgive us and being thankful for what we have. Well, I don't know about you, but uh, as Christmas is unraveling, I'm seeing more and more decorations I've never seen before. I am now seeing uh, what are, I used to be called uh, inflatables. You know what I'm talking about? The things that people blow up. Well, now they're glowing with light at night. You know, at first they just sat in your yard. Now they have candles or lights or anything else glowing these things in the neighborhood. And it, it really is fun. Because when I take my dog out walking, he doesn't understand what these things are, and he wants to, he wants to attack them. <laughs> he, he thinks they're real, and he wants to get rid of them. He thinks they're some kind of competition for his territory. Well, one of the real joys of Christmas is we begin to enjoy the lights of Christmas in such measure that we ask ourselves, you know, what could be more beautiful? What could be more spectacular than a house that is decorated for Christmas. Our, our neighbor, who have outdone us uh, overwhelmingly so, have columns on their porch and they have now put lights around them so they look like candy canes. And he adds a light every year. I'm beginning to wonder if we're going to become one of the destinations for people to drive by from here on out. But as I look at all the decorations, as I see what's happening in our neighborhoods, I, I am just struck by how our whole nation is gripped with the idea of celebrating Christmas. Isn't it wonderful? I mean, people are gathering in such ways that they are saying, we want to celebrate Christmas. And the most joyful thing about Christmas is that John describes for us who this Jesus is by talking about the person who is the light. Last week we talked about how he described Jesus as the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And we, we found out in studying that passage that John was writing during an era where there were three overwhelming struggles that the culture was dealing with in their day because they didn't have a knowledge of God. They worshipped idols. They worshipped the creation, not the creator. Uh, there was a spiritual confusion that gripped the world at those days. People didn't know what to believe anymore. You see, at one time they believed the pantheons of the Greek gods of, of old where, where Zeus and other deities who were only created in the eyes of imagination of men to be like men ruled from a mountaintop and determined the destination of men and women in their lives. All of that was falling aside and people were confused as what is true. They looked at the idols of their temples and they prayed continually with no answers of prayers and when they did have their prayers answered, they weren't sure if the idols they prayed to were the ones that granted it. The most amazing thing is that in those days, there was such spiritual confusion that people honestly asked, who is God? We found out that there was also a moral deterioration that happened in that culture. I mean, it's no surprise in the day that we see in our own day as we have forsaken the God of our fathers that we're seeing a moral deterioration in the world. Why? Because when you think of what is moral, 
how do we decide what is right and wrong? Except that there must be a God who created us. And in the Ten Commandments, we are taught what is right and wrong. And as we have seen the Ten Commandments silently and purposely put to the side so people no longer read them, we are forgetting what truly right and wrong is about. And our culture is deteriorating before us, morally in every way. The same was true in John's day. We found out also that there was not only spiritual confusion and moral deterioration, there was a hunger. There was a hunger. A hunger for decency and justice. And you see what's happening in Israel these days, right? In the war that's happening in Gaza. And you hear and you see the different conflicting messages of how people say that couldn't have happened. It's a lie. No one was killed in in Israel. And then you look at what's happening in Gaza and the world is screaming for peace. And there is just no sense of there is any decency or justice because of the tremendous, tremendous wickedness that is going on in that part of the world. Not just on one side, but both. It was true in John's day as well. People hungered for peace. They hungered for decency. They hungered for justice. And you and I, when we look at this world, what hope is there? And John says there's great hope because the light has come. The light of the world. This morning as we go through this, I want to very quickly go through as quickly as I can. For those of you who have a watch, I am now at, at uh, 17 past 11, which means I have five minutes to preach this sermon. <laughs> Please pray for me. One of the things that's interesting is when you look at this word, light, it is a word that is important to John's understanding and his explanation to you of why you should look to Christ to believe in him. He wrote this gospel for that very purpose, that you would not listen to me talk about Jesus, that you would go to the scriptures to open this gospel and read it for yourself. Why? Because we're living in a day where people believe things because they've heard someone else say something. And they haven't looked into whether it's true or not. And that's why we go back to the Bible. That's why we open the passages of Scripture. Because it is not the words of men or even from this pulpit that God's word is declared. It is from God himself who has declared it. And he has revealed it through his son perfectly in Jesus Christ. John records that whole truth for us. The amazing thing is as you look at this word light... Light is one of the first things that God created. And we know that because as you hear John's gospel open, in the beginning was the word. He is actually causing people to turn back to the very first words of Scripture all the way back to Genesis 1 where it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And he says the word was with God. He says this this person who became flesh was with God in the beginning before anything was created, even light. And more importantly, this person was God, which must must infuriate those who are Muslim and Jews because there is only one God to them. And they accuse Christians of believing there are more, and we don't. We are simply taking John's testimony and showing how John himself, who walked with Jesus, who beheld his glory, leads us to that conclusion that Jesus is the expression, the physical expression of the invisible God. That's what Colossians tells us. 
Peter, uh, Paul writes in Colossians, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And so this man, Jesus, is more than a man to John and to those who come to believe in him. He is the agent, the, the one God has sent. He is the very essence, God's expression of himself in human form. And so because of that, one of the things that's incredible is how John then goes on from talking about Jesus being the word to saying that Jesus is the light that has come into the world. Why the light? Well, the light, if you go back to Genesis, was the first thing that was created. And it doesn't take a rocket scientist to realize how important light is even today for us, isn't it? When you go back to the Old Testament and you look at this whole connection of God and, and light and the importance of that that symbolism for us in understanding God and his glory. It, it is not only the first words that God speaks, let there be light in Genesis 1-3. It is also that God, God wants us to understand something more powerful than we can possibly grasp with our minds, that he is the one who created everything from nothing. Now, it's hard to think of what nothing is. Can you think of what nothing is? Here's one, one of the best definitions I've ever heard. Nothing is what rocks think about at night. <laughs> what John is implying by talking about that Jesus is the light, he's implying that just Jesus who created the light existed before the sun and the moon and the stars. And the saddest part of the days that John lived is that many people worshipped the sun and the moon and the stars. They worshipped the idols that they said represented the celestial beings of heaven. They didn't know God. When you and I begin to think of what God does in revealing himself in the Old Testament through the Jews, light becomes a very important part of understanding the character and nature of God. In Psalm 104, it says his, his, he is clothed in light. That God is clothed in light that light lives in him in Daniel 2, 22. That, that his brightness, God's brightness is like light. Habakkuk says, the light of thine arrows. And the psalmist, again, in Psalm 27, one of my most favorite psalms, the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? Yeah. Therefore, it's not surprising, is it? It's not surprising at all that darkness cannot triumph over light because God is greater than the darkness. Job tells us in Job 12, 22 that God brings deep darkness to light. And he's speaking of the shadow of death, that deep darkness of death. I don't know if you've ever stood by someone who's passed away, who's died. There's no glory in that, except that when you know that they have put their faith in Christ, I've talked to many people who have been on hospitals beds in their last days and they have talked about their life and their, their desires for what goes beyond their life. But I have never been more horror struck by watching someone die who did not know the grace of Jesus Christ. It is a horrific place to be. Jeremiah tells us that this God who is who is so important for us to know is the one who created us, 
He gives the sun for light by day and fixed the order of the moon and the stars and light by night. And he did that for you. Why? That you might worship those things? Oh, heavens no. That you might worship him who created them. The second thing that it tells us about this light is not only that that light was the first thing created, it tells us that in the Old Testament that the, that the ones who serve God, that serving God can be described as walking in the light. Isaiah 2, 5. When you hear the, the, the call of the prophets to the people of God who were separated from all the other nations of the world to be faithful to Yahweh, to serve Him and love Him, and seek him and all that they do. They had wandered from that path and it was a path of darkness that they were taking and now the prophet comes and calls them to back to the path of light to walk in the light of the Lord, the knowledge of who God is as he's revealed himself through Moses. And so his servants are a light to others. That God's word is a light, a path for those who would desire to follow and be with him and walk in his ways. That, that literally those who choose to walk in the light find that divine favor from this God we would not know unless he revealed himself. And most amazingly, when you think about those who have followed God in their own words, they are people who experience blessing upon blessing in their lives, even in the most horrendous circumstances they lived through, because they have an everlasting hope that they believe will never diminish or be extinguished because it is a light that God has allowed to shine within their hearts and causes them to have hope in their future. And then lastly, in the Old Testament, you'll find that not only that those who serve God, but that life is often used for, for symbols of goodness and uprightness and blessing. The light dawns for the righteous and joy for the upright of heart, Psalm 91.11 says. Also in Psalm 112.4, even in darkness light rises above or rises for the upright because the Lord is gracious. And therefore the psalmist as he writes his psalms could pray that God would send his light and his truth to bring him to God's dwelling. Isn't that glorious? It's glorious. There were those in the day, obviously, who felt that there was some confusion because there was a man sent by God just like Jesus was sent. This was John the Baptist. Many were baptized in his name. And John includes in this opening prologue to his gospel an explanation of who this man was. He was not God. He was simply the witness to the one God promised he would send in the Old Testament. Remember the Old Testament prophecy that God would send an Elijah to come and he would prepare the way of the Lord? Though he was sent by God, interestingly enough, if you look at the Greek sentence here, the verb used to describe John is a temporal word that can only be used for someone who's born into this world. The verb used for Jesus, the one sent by God, is one that transcends time. It goes back to the beginning. The other thing that's important in remembering about John is he came to witness. It, th this is a, a legal term. 
to testify concerning that light that's coming into the world. Why would he include that? Well, one of the things the Jews believed was that you couldn't just make a claim. You had to have support. You had to have witnesses to, to show that what you were saying was true. And so as John is preaching about this Jesus as light of the world, he includes this testimony of John the Baptist, not because people aren't aware of it, but because he wants to make it emphatically clear that John did not come in his baptism to serve himself or those who were needing forgiveness. He came to point to the one who could forgive and who would forgive our sins. How incredible this person who is the light and that's the whole point of the passage, is that Jesus is the true light. Jesus is the true light. Wh what does he mean? The genuine article. I, I don't know about you, but I was talking with someone years ago who was talking about going to New York, and they bought a purse on, on the streets of New York City. It was one of those, ex you're shaking your head, I know what you're thinking. It was one of those expensive purpose, uh, purses that, that, is, that is sold in New York for for thousands of dollars and I said well how much did you pay for it he said seventy five dollars and I said really and he said yeah he said it's a genuine coach bag I saw him a couple of weeks couple of years later and I said how did that bag work out for you he said it it fell apart it wasn't the genuine article why does John include that well, even Jesus warned that there would be many coming into the world who would declare to be the Messiah. He said, if you hear the Messiah is out in the desert, don't even bother to get up and go and see. Why? Because I am the truth, the way, and the life, he said. Pretty powerful, isn't it? Well, what does that have to do with you and Jesus today? Well, very quickly... Not only is that light created by God in the beginning that gives light through the sun and the moon and the stars, but this Jesus was the one who created the light. And though he created that light and gave reason for every men and women to know in looking at the sun and the moon and the stars that there is a creator No one knows God. No one seeks after him. That's what the Bible says. That humanity in its entirety doesn't want to know the one true God. It's the reason we make idols. Because we don't want God to be God. We want to be God. In the days that we live, we see the moral confusion of our day because people want to say to themselves, I know better. I'm right. And you can't look at Jesus and say that. Why? Because Jesus came for two purposes. He came to illuminate the one true God. You remember his teaching? You can find it in the gospel. He says, you have heard it said, but I say to you. We find that teaching numerous times. And there's one word he uses where he says, you have heard it said, do not kill. But I tell you, don't call your brother a fool. As I go around shopping these days, 
as I drive on our interstates, I'm seeing a lot of people throwing up hand gestures and saying, you fool. But no one equates that as being killing anyone, do they? Jesus did. The moment you dismiss someone who is created in the image of God as being useless or you consign them to hell. Never heard that? Go to hell? In the eyes of God, you murdered them. If you know someone who's gotten into an affair and they come and talk to you about it and you sit there and do nothing and they're cheating on their spouse, you say, well, they're breaking the law of God. I'm not. No, by the very fact that you sit there and allow that to happen without exposing it, God says, you're an adulterer. If you go to a store and you see someone stealing something, load up their shopping bag with all kinds of gifts and walk out of the store without ever paying it and you do nothing Jesus said you have stolen you see that's that's the God we have come to know when you go back to the Ten Commandments and you read them you understand this God is holy and he is just and he is right and the reason that we are in the mess we are is because we don't believe it But as you gaze at the Ten Commandments and you hear Jesus' teaching and he illuminates who our God is, this is why they wanted to kill him. No Jew would ever interpret the law that way, even to this day. And that puts us in a quandary, doesn't it? Because we know the truth that all of us have fallen short of the glory of God, each of us. We can't point our finger at someone else without our realizing that four of them are pointing back at us. And so Christmas is a time that reminds us that the light came into the world not to make us feel good, but to understand the depth of the depravity, not of someone else's heart, but our own heart and the need we have of being found guilty before God without any recourse. No excuse. We are worthy of God's wrath and his punishment because of things we have done and we know it. And when Jesus came into the world as that light, it became a blinding force that exposed the sin of humanity. And there's only one of two ways you can respond. Either you close your eyes to the light or you gaze upon its beauty and absorb its truth. And that is why Jesus came, the second reason, to redeem those from darkness. The glorious news of Christmas is not that we are good people. It is that we are people who have fallen short of the glory of God and God so loved us that he sent one to bear our sins upon the tree so that we could find peace with God and know the forgiveness that God gives so that it would alter our life in such a way that we would be born of God. That's what he says. Did you notice? But to those who receive him, to those who call upon his name, he gave them the right to be called children of God, not because of some human decision, but because God 
was so gracious. Glorious words. Glorious indeed. That's why when you look at the three circles that we've been studying in our church, as you go through and you begin to study what it is to share the gospel in this time where people are, are really hungry for God, they're in this time of, of great moral dis, uh, um, moral problems we're facing in light of the, the tremendous issues that we're seeing in spiritual confusion of our day, that Jesus really is the one that has come to bring light to our lives, to deliver us from our own, our own sins. The three circles are very clear that God's design is, is clearly given in the scriptures, that God created you to love him with your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and that he did so in such a way that Adam and Eve knew what it was to have perfect peace with God in the garden. And when that sin entered the world, it completely erupted that whole way of life for all humanity. And in our brokenness, we seek ways of trying to get around this problem. We, we pursue whatever we, whatever we can to, to fill this void that only God can fill. And in that brokenness, we seek and search for more and more and more and are never satisfied. How many times have you heard the Rolling Stones singing, I can't get no... And how old are those guys now? The glorious news is that God, knowing our condition, sent Jesus into the world. This is the gospel, and he came so that anyone who would repent and believe in him could then be freed by the power of God's Spirit to pursue and reclaim what God had meant for us from the beginning. This is the Christian life. It is our hope. It is the reason we live. It is not to be popular in and of ourselves or to make a name for ourselves. It is coming to know the one who reveals who God is, who is Jesus Christ. And as we come to know him, we put more and more sin away. We become more and more aware of our need for Christ in our daily lives. And it is only through the power of Christ that we are able to be transformed in our let me tell you, you've got, a, you've got a problem in your marriage right now and you're trying to fix it, give up. You are the problem. You need Christ in your life. You see, that's how real this really is. And yet, most importantly, John wants these people who read his gospel to understand this with such clarity that he says, and yet to those who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gives the right to be called the children of God. Well, what, what does it mean to believe in Jesus? Don't, isn't it enough just to believe that he lived? No. Isn't it enough just to believe that God offers forgiveness through him? No. What it takes is for you to trust that Christ in his work of the cross was enough not only to pay for your sins, but to come into your life and change you so that you are now free to love God in a way you never could before. Many of you have been sitting very patiently in those pews. Would you stand with me just a minute? You, 
you probably believe that those pews will hold you, right? You probably believe if you sat back down that somehow you wouldn't fall and hit the floor with your rear end, right? Well, then why, why, aren't, you, why aren't you sitting in the chair? Why aren't you sitting in the pews? Well, you, back, you said, Robert, stand up. I did. But it's only when you pull your full weight on that pew that you've said you've trusted in the pew. That is what Christ has declared. The one who comes to him will not be disappointed because by putting your full trust in his work on the cross, repenting of your sins, coming to Christ, God says you are forgiven, cleansed, able to know the living God and walk in the light of his birth. This is what Christmas is all about. The gift that we could not buy that God has given to anyone who would believe. Would you pray with me? Our gracious God, as we turn now to close our worship service, we thank you for the gift of salvation, the one who came as the light. There are many today who make fun of him even today. There are those in institutions of higher learning who, who look back to this moment where we recorded in John the, the coming of the light and they, they themselves cannot believe and they're in darkness. It is our prayer that you would help us as those who trust in him to live our lives in such union with the Lord Jesus that people would not just see our good works, but they would see our conviction that Jesus Christ did something for us we could not do for ourselves, that God accomplished a salvation that no man could complete. And that through his Son, our Lord and Savior, we who stand here and believe, you declare, we are the light of the world. That through us, this message we have heard from John and received now bears witness through us in the world. For that reason, we pray, God, Please, Lord Jesus, don't let us celebrate a Christless Christmas, but a Christ-filled celebration. And the people of God said together,